Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, guys, we got a lot to talk about tonight, and I mean a lot, and we're going to really try not to let this thing get away from us tonight. Um, what with coaching carousel craziness and insanity, um, what with the the playoff scenarios going kind of nutty and, and what might all happen there, where we might be going for our bowl game, uh, just completely up in the air. Um, so we got a, a lot to cover tonight, but we got to get started with uh, an outright drubbing of Illinois. 42 to 7. I-L-L. <laughs> they <laughs> suck. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I know we were, we were watching the game and, you know, Illinois scores that first touchdown, uh, just a methodical drive down the field. And, you know, we're all texting each other like, um, what the what? And then that's the last drive they had all game. So I think the easiest way for me to sum it up is they, they simultaneously were and were not who we thought they were. In terms of the vast majority of the game, their overall talent level, um, and really everything about them, they absolutely are who we thought they were. The one exception was we thought they were going to be Jeff George Jr., and they were Cam Thomas. And it's funny to me because I think we were just talking, or was it Scuzz just kind of alerted us earlier in the day, that Demery Croft is transferring from Minnesota. And it's funny that Demry Croft's name, you know, came up again because I've had him in my head thinking about Cam Thomas. I think Cam Thomas and Demry Croft are very similar football players. The difference is for this one game or really this one quarter anyway, Cam Thomas had the benefit of no one having seen him. And he definitely snuck up on us at the start of this game. The guy can run like a deer. Um, he is really, really fast. And... I think we were not prepared for a game plan where he was going to come out and then just run like the Dickens all over us. And he ran the read option. His read option instincts appear to be pretty darn good. And he ran it really effectively. And then we realized this is literally all they're going to attempt to do the entire game. And Cam Thomas can't throw. And that was the end of that. So, I mean, it was enough to make us a little bit nervous early on. But then, you know, things regressed to the mean. Well, we just, we adjusted, right? I mean, like, if you go back and watch that first drive, even the second drive a little bit, our defensive line was completely befuddled by the read option. And we haven't played a true read option QB all year. Like, Croft is good, but he doesn't have the type of speed that Cam Thomas does. And, you know, maybe the weather or other factors played in as well. Um, he didn't even, you know, he didn't win the, 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 the job out of camp with Minnesota. He's not, I don't think he's the type of athlete that Cam Thomas, Cam Thomas is either. But if you watch our defensive ends, like Sam Dup Miller was, was going with the running back and completely forgetting about the QB. And I mean, it was kind of textbook what they were doing to us. And we adjusted, we, we sat down, we looked at the, at the uh, screenshots um, on the iPads or whatever it is that the guys have on the sidelines. The coaches talked him through it and you didn't see that happen anymore throughout the rest of the game. And I thought the Cats did a spectacular job. Nate Hall was huge in this game. Um, he continues to make like crazy, crazy shoestring tackles behind the line of scrimmage. The guy is second in the conference with 16 and a half tackles for a loss now. 
Uh, so just a lot of guys came to play. The front seven figured it out, and John, you're, you're spot on. They didn't, you know, they didn't really need to worry about the pass. We gave up some yards in that department, certainly. But I want to go back because I was, you know, I was gleefully um, excited about playing Jeff George Jr. last week, and it's because he, you know, started the last two games for Illinois. We haven't seen Cam Thomas on the field since the Purdue game at the beginning of November, and even then, he only had about twenty. Uh, 24 plays in that game against Wisconsin and Minnesota. The two, or, or I'm sorry, he had about 34 plays in that game. The two prior weeks, it was it was 20 or less against Wisconsin, and Minnesota. So this guy had been used as kind of like a change of pace QB with you know the one start at Purdue. There was no reason to think that this freshman was on the radar for this game, and you know our coaching staff and our defense certainly, to your point, John, were not prepared, but. We figured it out, and you know, on the other side, we had a bad pick inside the red zone on the offense. Um, we didn't look great that that very first drive. I thought Thorson was a little inaccurate, and uh, there were a couple of key drops. You know, Riley Lee's drops a, a pass, a, what a twenty-yard reception over the yeah, middle. just right uh, off his hands. That was rough. Yeah, to kill that first drive. So drops in inaccuracy is what hurt the offense. I saw people on Twitter bemoaning the conservative play calling and. Mick McCall and this, that, the other thing. What are you people watching? Mick McCall was awesome in this game. We ran an RPO fake run pass to Garrett Dickerson for a touchdown. Uh, we were running the Jelani, uh, the Jelani jet sweep package T- as a fake. Touchdown factory, Jelani Roberts. <laughs> so, so three, three play swing, right? We, we, we run Jelani inside the, the red zone on our, what, our second drive. And then coming back a, a, a few drives later, um, we run him, uh, we run him across on a. So we fake the ball to Jackson, and then we fake it to Jelani coming across on the jet sweep, and then throw it fifty yards downfield to Skoranek. I mean, that was that was an excellent play to basically generate one on one coverage for Skoranek downfield. And then we run it on the very next play from the six yard line for the touchdown, which was just brilliant. And we ran he was it again on, on an eighty yard touchdown. That right. uh, well, it was I guess it was a seventy nine yard run that JJ got. We ran Jelani across the package again on that. It was it's like everything we dreamed of in whatever Venrick Mark's sophomore year was uh, to get you know a, a guy with that kind of speed moving across the formation on every play because it gives the defense fits. And McCall used it brilliantly on Saturday. I, so there, there's one thing too that this we kind of talked about it earlier, right? The the start of this game, I think people coming in, if you look at like, well, what are the scenarios in which Illinois wins this game? <clears throat> Tons of turnovers. Thorson comes out sloppy. Things are really going. And for the first two series that went Illinois' way, it would have had to continue that way for every other series of the game for Illinois to win this game. Um, uh, rivals, Northwestern rivals today, Louis Vasher had an article up that had a, a stunning statistic. There there were 24 guys on the sidelines of this game who had an offer from both Northwestern and Illinois, and they were all on the Northwestern sideline. Wow. If if you're... Whoa. I mean, that is... And, and he was like, you can add into that two guys from the 2018 class who have not yet enrolled, who also had a choice between those. It's, that's the level of dominance we have over them right now. And it's, so you're talking four, five consecutive classes worth of guys um, where we're winning these battles in state. And we're just, I mean, it's, it's something we've talked about, particularly with this defense. But, I mean, with the offensive line, too. Justin Jackson, 
I mean, eight yards a carry. Yes, that was buoyed by the 80-yard run, but did you see the size of the hole on that 80-yard run? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, just total dominance. They, again, I think if I'm them, I go with Thomas because, you know, like you said, Scuzz, he's a, I mean, even compared to Demery Croft, he's clearly an incredible athlete. Um, Thomas is, the guy is really, really fast. And his instincts, I mean, to me, I, I called you guys earlier in the game. I was like, there's no way he doesn't throw a pick in this game. His his motion is really deliberate. It takes him a long time to get the ball out. You can see he doesn't, you know, he's not used to making progressions. He's not great throwing on the run. But the raw athleticism is incredible. So why not see what you've got there, right? Get him the reps. And, you know, he may be, maybe you can develop him into something. Maybe you can put a package together for him in the future. But Illinois just, I mean... That's if that's if it's your choice that or Jeff George Jr. I mean then just do this. But Illinois just doesn't have a lot of those choices, and um, you know I'm not seeing any kind of upward trajectory for that team. Well, and they had no other option, right? Like you talked about once we once we figured out that that's all they were going to try to do all game, right? They couldn't they couldn't adjust. They couldn't you know get the running game going. They couldn't activate their their receivers. We we did a great job keeping everything in front of us. Um, but the talent differential on the field is, is really stark. And frankly, I, you know, I, we think a lot of Garrett Dickerson or not Garrett Dickerson, Garrett, Garrick McGee, their offensive coordinator. Um, and I, he just doesn't have a lot to work with. Yeah. I mean, and, the, the chef is only good, as good as his ingredients, right? Yeah. Yeah. True. And you know, Lovey Smith, like he seems like he's a good dude, and I know Bears fans, you know, had a love hate relationship with him for for a long time. But um, I can't imagine that he's, you know, he's hitting the recruiting trail like uh, like Will Muschamp is. And I just Illinois, here's to I, you. <laughs> they're gonna have to find that sweet spot wherever it is as that 19 million buyout slowly comes down. I just, I just don't. How do you- how do you convince somebody to go to, to champagne? I just, I, I mean, I, I mean, I get why, I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, it, the same would apply to, to a Nebraska or something right now, but I mean, in this, but in the same, I mean, as things currently stand, he's showing no demonstration of putting the program on an upward trajectory. If anything, they seem to be flatlining and they're stuck with him. Like there's no, I mean, it's, it's going to be Lovey Smith in living rooms selling players and where's the evidence that they're not going to do what the last 26 guys with a Northwestern offer did? And the, and there's really no long-term scenario for Lovey there. I mean, they're, they're not going to, he's not going to be there for years and years and years. I mean, it, it's pretty clear that he's there for a couple more years max. Like, I don't see him signing a big extension there. I mean, Illinois would be stupid to do that. But <laughs> at, at some point, Illinois is going to have to say, we need to get the young hot coach. Uh, coming up, the Scott Frosts of the world, the Tom Hermans of the world. Not that they'd be able to get those guys, but they're going to need to get their own version of a Jeff Brom. Someone who can come Brom in. Brom or PJ. Exactly. Yeah. Someone who has, he's younger, has a big, you know, different way of thinking, different way of doing things. And that's the only way that Illinois comes out of this just flat tailspin. Hey, hey, it, it, Illinois could do that. Maybe they should do that. I'm good with them not Guys, doing that. Guys, I'm, no, I'm, I'm happy with y'all doing what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah, do it. Do it. Do it. Maybe. I-L-L. Yeah. Maybe. You know, hey, 
Love it. Someone might come poach Lovey. You better raise that buyout up a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> the the NFL does love retrograde coaches. So yeah, before it. we I, before we move on to coaching, uh, which there's a plenty to talk about, I got to give shout outs. I got to give shout outs to sh- Tyler Lancaster. And, oh, yeah. okay. I was going to give a shout out to Tito Adenabo. Well, we can we can talk <laughs> we can talk about Tito here in a sec, but uh, major shouts to Tyler Lancaster and Mick McCall and Fitz for putting him in the Bo Sizzik package. Um, watching the game with my wife, and when she sees big old fatty number one going in there, she's like, it, it's Bo Redux, it's Bo Redux. And the fact that he actually gained some yards, didn't fumble. Um, so he was infinitely better than Bo in his <laughs> in his rushing abilities. So, Sorry, Bo, it's true. I, we love you, Bo. We love you completely and utterly. But uh, he, Tyler didn't put the ball on the ground. I don't know what to say. What? Hey, I all I know is that Anthony Walker is pissed because he never got that chance. Anthony Walker he was have, he might have ripped off a touchdown. Walker was not a big fatty number one. Walker was a lean, thick, you know, tackling machine. But he wasn't a big Walker fatty. was also not on the field in garbage time on any side of the ball. <laughs> the, be- the best part was when they asked Lancaster about it after the game. He was like, Jesse Brown was supposed to go out of bounds at the one so I could run it in for the touchdown. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, and he decided to get the touchdown for himself. Whatever. It's fine. Whatever. It was was pretty funny. That's really funny. Watching, well, Gaziano next to him was cracking up, who also had a fantastic game. D-line, I mean, again. Total mismatch, but I mean, this is, we have the kind of defense where if you put us on the field with a team like Illinois, I mean, it's just, it's just domination. Again, between Northwestern, Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan State, and Michigan, there are a lot of really good defenses jostling, guys jostling for those first, second, and third team, all Big Ten spots. But you're talking about five of the best defenses in the country, and we've got like seven guys who are going to be represented on that three deep. Um this is just a loaded group of guys. In, I mean, it's not out of consideration that Patty Fisher and Nate Hall are both first-team All-Big Ten linebackers. And if they're not, it's only because this is an unbelievable defensive conference. If you put us in the Big 12, those two guys are both first-team All-Big 12. Um, it's, <clears throat> they're, I mean, just an uh, just dominant display by a really talented front seven. Um and again, it's been that way all year. Well, speaking of all Big Ten, um, the Big Ten Network came out with their all freshman team. Uh, Rashawn Slater makes the all freshman team, as well as uh, Sam Dupe Miller and Defensive Freshman of the Year, Patty Fisher. Freshman national leader in tackles by a freshman, yeah. Patty Fisher. Um, pro, pro Football Focus has been all over that dude this season. They, they gave him some big accolades again uh, after the Illinois game. Although, like, horrible offense so you know take that for what you will but I just I think I think one of the huge things that we were worried about this season that has maybe even been better uh, in this defense than last year's has been the coverage uh, that our linebacker unit has been able to to achieve without sacrificing against the run and we had you know we had Nate Hall who had been primarily a third down linebacker earlier in his career you had you had Patty Fisher and then you had kind of like an open spot in the in the third, uh, the third place, and these guys have just done a great great job uh, figuring it out. You know, um, Brett Walsh has 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 had some really good games. He's emerged in that in that strong side spot. Nate Hall has gotten even even better 
than he was. And Patty Fisher, stunningly, has filled Anthony Walker's shoes as the leader of this defense and one of the best players on the field. It's amazing to me. I mean, Fisher's going to have to put on that 51 jersey pretty soon because <laughs> he is, he's so like Fitz. Um, he is an okay athlete with unbelievable instincts. If you just watch him in replays, the way he locates and finds the football and gets there is just, it's a millisecond. He knows exactly what to do on every single play. It's awesome. For a guy that young, it's astounding. So are we ready to uh, close the door on the Northwestern regular season uh, and kind of look ahead Ooh, boy. a little bit? Seven seven straight wins, boys. I know. It, I mean, My goodness. Absolutely amazing. You know, great job. I mean, especially starting off the season two and three, uh, to, you know, get it turned around, win the three consecutive overtime games and really just put a stomping on, um, in November, just, you know, really finishing the season so strong. Uh, you know, starting to look ahead to the, the bowl situation. You know, we've got some, uh, really interesting games here in championship weekend. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, what we, what we might be seeing as possibilities for the playoff and kind of how that will, uh, trickle down to where Northwestern might go. But I mean, at this point, you know, you could see us as high as the Citrus Bowl, um, all the way and potentially as far down as like the Foster Farms Bowl. I mean, there's, you know, you can't, if you're looking to book hotel rooms, book a room in Orlando. Tampa, Nashville, San Diego. Not Tampa. Not Tampa. Not, ta- not Tampa. Not Tampa for sure. We're not going to Tampa. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Only be well, and that's and that's the thing. I mean, that's it's a good place to get into it as anything, Sammy. Right? It's the difference between uh, a true meritocracy and then the the whole, <laughs> the whole muddled mess that is the ball system. Ball season. I I give Scuzz all the credit in the world for sorting out this this just cluster uh, to for us to figure this out. I mean. In a, in a true meritocracy, right, we can easily argue that we're the fourth best team in the conference. Um, and, and without a doubt, we're the fourth or fifth best team in the conference. Sorry, Michigan, you're eight and four and you're not ranked. Um, Michigan State has the same record as us overall and in conference, and we beat them. Um, ergo, we would be behind only Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin. That's fourth place. I think it's really easy to look and say, well, okay, if Wisconsin and Ohio State, if the winner of that game goes to the playoff, the other two teams go to group of, you know, uh, New Year's Day, uh, New Year's Six bowl games. Next in line is Citrus Bowl. Um, Ergo, we would be in the Citrus Bowl. It's much, much more complicated than that. Uh, And, Scuzz, why don't you take us through basically why that's not going to happen? So... The convoluted world of bowl tie-ins, which has gotten more and more convoluted as years have gone by. I remember uh, heated debates when we were in college about, you know, can a, you know, under what scenario can a can a team with two fewer law, uh, wins jump Northwestern and go higher in the order and all that sort of t- sort of stuff. Essentially, now in the playoff era, and really this was true in the BCS as well, or the latter years of the BCS, I should say, is that after like the top, you know six to 10 bowl games, it's no holds barred and conferences can do whatever they want to, uh, basically ensure good geographic matchups, good, um, team matchups in the bowl games. Like the bowls basically let the conferences, uh, pick and choose who they send where and the bowls certainly get a say, but it's, um, 
this is about as far from a meritocracy as you can get. So the first interesting thing is that the Big Ten, um, if we don't get a team into the playoff or if we have one team in and one team that just barely misses the cut uh, and the Orange Bowl selects that team, so basically if a Big Ten team goes to the Orange Bowl who has first pick among the New Year's Six, it means that the Citrus Bowl will pick an ACC team instead of a Big Ten team. Uh, for whatever reason that is, I don't I don't quite know, but um, I guess Orange Bowl and Citrus Bowl have some sort of uh, unification thing that you know allows them to do that or whatever. So the the if you're if you're counting you know teams above Northwestern and you're saying oh one in the playoff, two in the group of six, you know one in the Citrus Bowl, one in the Outback or whatever. Um, you can't count both Orange Bowl and Citrus Bowl, and I think it's uh, it's pretty likely that you know should Wisconsin or Ohio State just miss the cut into the um, into the playoff that they would end up in the Orange Bowl. So one team in the playoff, you know, one team in either the Orange Bowl or the Citrus Bowl, or maybe another New Year's Six Bowl. I think it's pretty likely that Ohio State, Penn State, and uh, Wisconsin will get eaten up in that in that whole uh, whole arena, and so I think just starting with the outback makes sense for for the for the Big Ten. You know the way the way the the land is going to lay after those top three teams. The outback bowl, as I mentioned a second ago, will not pick Northwestern. It's because they have an agreement for five different teams in six years, so they are not going to spend their their double uh, on Northwestern, Wisconsin, or Iowa. Um, those teams have all been recently and, uh, they're not going to pick one of them again. So do not get angry people when the Outback Bowl selects Michigan <laughs> instead of Northwestern. And they're going to, <laughs> and they're totally going to, cause they can't select us. It's not about, you know, who has a better record or, or it has nothing to do with that. It's all about this weird, obscure rule in the, in the selection agreements. Well, plus, you know, do we really want to go back to Tampa? We've had, um, you know, heartbreak and a butt whooping the two times we've been there already let's let's get some let's get some new memories for the cats exactly exactly so um there i mean there is a very small chance that we could go to the citrus bowl if you know if let's say uh wisconsin goes to the playoff and then penn state and and, uh ohio state get you know late at large bids in the new year's six conceivably the citrus bowl could say well northwestern beat michigan state head to head we think they're going to travel better to florida we're going to pick northwestern for the citrus bowl that could conceivably happen um it's worth noting uh that the citrus has the same five teams five different teams in six years agreement that the outback bowl does so the citrus will not pick michigan michigan is not going to the citrus bowl so it's probably michigan state uh or northwestern maybe in iowa uh, could slot in Ooh, there. Ooh, that would well. be a stretch, I think. But it would it would be a stretch. It would be weird. But again, like, <laughs> but as, as you these alluded, bulls do whatever they want. I was just saying, and as you as you alluded to our our vast reservoir of experience here, Scuzz, the Citrus is taking Michigan State <laughs> <laughs> most likely. Like, so if, if they have that option, we're going to lose out to the state school. That's yep. just what's going to happen. So those those five schools are probably going ahead of us. And next up on the pecking order is the Holiday Bowl. Um, the Holiday Bowl cannot pick uh, Minnesota, Nebraska, or Wisconsin for the same five teams in six years rationale, or is at least extremely unlikely to. Um, good thing two of those teams aren't bowl eligible, and the other one will already be off the table. So this does look like the most likely pick for Northwestern. Um, 
it is certainly not not a lock. Uh, you know, things could change. I think it, I think it's plausible if the Big Ten missed out on the playoff, like if the, if they played a a crappy game and Ohio State, you know, looks bad and the the playoff and the New Year's Six are are kind of holding their nose at the idea of a uh, you know let's say the backup QB now JT Barrett's injured the backup doesn't look good anymore um, there's you know it's plausible that that the Big Ten could only get two teams in into the the top tier and that you know a Michigan or a Michigan State could fall down to this uh, to this Holiday Bowl that's certainly plausible unlikely but uh, plausible it, yeah unlikely or- but or right, or if, as you were saying, one of those teams ends up in the Orange Bowl somehow, and no one's in the Citrus Bowl, and that bumps Michigan and Michigan State both down a rung, like one of them could end up in the Holiday Bowl too, I guess. Yep, yep. Um, so if if that happens, then it's probably between Music City and Foster Farms, because uh, I don't think the Tax Slayer Bowl is going to take Northwestern. They took us a few years ago. Um, Tax Slayer and Music City alternate with the Big Ten. I think I actually think the Tax Slayer Bowl is going to uh, go for uh, Florida State. If they can get a six and six Florida State to come up to Jacksonville, I think they are going to jump all over that and uh, and take an ACC team instead of a Big Ten team, which would leave Music City Bowl picking from the Big Ten. I think it'd be a good spot for Northwestern. I would love it because I could drive to that game. It's probably the only bowl game that I could uh, I could feasibly make happen this year if if we were to end up there. Uh, next on the list is Pinstripe. They're not going to take Northwestern. Again, they want eight different teams in eight years, and that leaves Foster Farms uh, out in San Francisco. But I think it's pretty unlikely Northwestern would fall that far. Um, Holiday Bowl seems like the odds-on favorite with, you know, kind of Citrus Bowl and Music City Bowl um, hanging on hanging on for dear life. So I, I have some, some clear thoughts. If it's, if it's Music City and Holiday Bowl, which it seems like that's what's coming. So, like, Music City is not a particularly sexy bowl to me. Like, Nashville as a bowl location, eh. But Nashville, no, 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 Nashville's cool. Nashville is an awesome, awesome town. That place but I mean, is for fun a- as hell. I guess. I mean, I've been there. I went there for a Tennessee Titans game when I was in college and had a great time it's just you know i think a lot of people think bowl game and they think florida california texas you know what i mean like some place where there's palm trees etc etc but yeah I mean, it's, I not, get, it's not this I, warm paradise but, of sexiness but nashville's a hell of a good time i get it i get it no you're right and the guys would probably have a great time there and everything i just the holiday bowl is an awesome bowl game like always has been right it has a reputation for being one of the best games every year in the bowl slate. There have just been some epic games at the Holiday Bowl over the year. It's a great location. What is it, Tampa? I mean, uh, San Diego, right? It, it is San Diego, and San Diego's amazing. Um, I will put one caveat on there, is that stadium is atrocious. It's in the middle True. It's in the middle of nowhere, and it's an old stadium. There's a reason the Chargers aren't playing there anymore. <laughs> However, that aside, and, and Scuzz, you can back me up on this. We were, We were out there together. But aside from that, San Diego rules. I yeah. thought that stadium was fine. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's. I you just got, you got to remember, I grew up with the Metro. That's, that's fair. <laughs> well, they have the this stadium is is going to be going the way of the Metrodome soon enough. There's no reason for it to be up much anymore. Um, but um, there is one giant caveat with the Holiday Bowl for me. With all of this said, and that is. Everyone is predicting Washington is going to the Holiday Bowl. 
And if we're getting a matchup with Washington, that's like running into a brick wall. I'm not saying we can't play with them. I'm just saying they're really, really good. And if it's between that and, let's say, NC State in the Music City Bowl, the NC State matchup is definitely a better chance to get the W. So we'll see. But, I mean, again, Holiday Bowl has a lot of cachet. And there are going to be a lot of people, if we get that bowl, who are like, Northwestern plays crazy exciting football. Holiday Bowl is a crazy exciting bowl game. I'm going to tune in. Plus, the entire stadium would be all purple in that yeah, in that instance. One of the best one of the best sets of uniforms in a head to head matchup ever. So two other possibilities in San Diego because let's say that USC just mops the floor with Stanford in the Pac twelve title game and just makes it look like Stanford has no business being in that in that game. I think maybe Washington goes first to the Alamo Bowl, who has first pick of, of Pac twelve teams. And then you could see either a Stanford or potentially a Washington State end up in San Diego. Eat, please. (laughs) Now, Northwestern Stanford would be awesome. Uh, I would, I would vote for that like every day of the week and twice on Sunday. I mean, and who doesn't, who doesn't want that? I mean, Bryce Love, Justin Jackson, Stanford, Northwestern, Nerd Bowl. I mean, everybody's gonna get all over that. I'm just, I'm just saying. Steal yourself for the possibility of the Husky monster if uh, if we get it. But, I mean, either way, I mean, Music City, like you guys said, I mean, I'm again, I, I my goal here is not to poop on Nashville. I just, Holiday Bowl has just this long tradition of excellence that I think, you know, the Music City Bowl doesn't have. Uh, but, again, we don't care. It's a new bowl destination. Um, and I think that's the bottom line is either of those two. We're either It's going to be either of those two. It's going to be a fun trip probably either way for the boys. Um, and it's going to be a good team. A good team, maybe a great team on the other side of the field. Who, who would you rather get in uh, in the Citrus Bowl? Or, or who would you rather get, Washington in the Holiday Bowl or like Georgia in the oh, Citrus God. Bowl? Oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. So I have to, I ha- I have to remember because, again – Based on what we're mapping out, right? If the Orange Bowl doesn't take, uh, if the Orange Bowl doesn't take a Big Ten team, it really is as simple as the Citrus Bowl just being like, "Screw it, we're taking Northwestern." Now, that's a ginormous if, especially considering that that in the grand scheme of things, right? Two teams with voracious fan followings, Michigan State and Michigan, would get leapfrogged by us. Um, the were that to happen, I will be in Orlando during that game, not able to go <laughs> because we are doing a Disney trip for our daughter that week. And my wife, to her immense credit, has mapped it out to the nines. We've got the dinner reservations. We got the meet and greets. We got fast pass. I could list 10 things that I don't understand that that are part of this Disney thing that she set it all up. And the citrus bowl is not part of that equation <laughs> and i there is just this doomsday scenario well i will i will be in the town and not in the stadium but um but i mean whatever i mean john, if, john just just ask the disney princesses to make your wish come true you know see if they can get it they can sort it out for you that's right i'll be like uh, i'll be like hey winnie the pooh can you move out of the way i'm trying to watch the tv here <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, I will happily take one for the team, literally and figuratively. Uh, if 
if it gets us into the Citrus Bowl, which would be Northwestern's biggest bowl. Well, tied for second biggest ever. We went there against Tennessee. Um, different, different, different times for the Tennessee Volunteers then. A L- little uh, bit. We'll, we'll, we're, 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 get, we're, we're getting, getting there. We're yeah, getting we'll, there. We'll get, we'll get there. But, oh, uh, boy. But, um, but, you know, that, I mean, that would be awesome for this group of guys, yeah. especially Justin Jackson. But, again, uh, it's, it's a no-lose situation. Like Scott says, I don't think we're going Foster Farms. I just I think it's going to be Holiday or Music City, but, but you never know. Rolling, rolling back to Music City, so some potential options there, I think. Um, uh, Texas A&M, Kentucky, and Mississippi State seem like the best options to me in terms of kind of like middle-of-the-pack uh, SEC schools that, that could end up there. I think it's probably more likely that, that A&M ends up in Houston, and you could see, you know, like I, I think South Carolina will probably end up going to the, the Outback Bowl. They usually pick an SEC East team, and um, I I think LSU might end up in the Gator Bowl against Florida State. That would be pretty interesting. So that would leave, you know, some of those. I don't. I don't think. I don't like Music City's not going to get a high enough pick amongst the SEC. I mean, now the SEC just figures it out, right? But like, if they were able to to engineer a Florida State LSU Gator Bowl, they would 100 percent try to do that. So, I think Music City might be on the veritable short end of the stick, and you know, a rematch with Mississippi State from 2012, or with well, and A&M and that that could, 2011. That could be interesting like, with Nick Fitzgerald out with the yeah you know, broken ankle. I was gonna say I I I don't want that matchup because we will beat Mississippi State handily in that matchup, and I don't want our friends down in Stark Vegas to have to deal with that. <laughs> we've got a lot of we've got a lot of people in cowbell country, you know. They're they're like I have I have no qualms about beating the tar out of Mississippi State. <laughs> Ouch. I don't know what you're talking Ouch. about. Shots fired. I I just but part but legitimately though, aside from all of that, I just. They were robbed of. 50, I mean, that injury was just brutal. Yeah, it's horrific. And, th- and then they got run off the field after that game, after that injury happened, and it was just like ugh, gross. And now they don't have Mullen, and it's just like you know, I just I will win if that's our matchup. But I, I just you know, I wouldn't feel good doing it. But I know, I know, I just hey, we we got some friends down in Stark Vegas. I don't want to you know. I don't want to fire too many shots, but I, again, I doubt that's going to happen. A and M, just sub in A and M. There you go. Mediocre team, head coach gone. Although, although that, li- that, would, that would be that would like be them. another Northwestern A and M matchup with A and M uh, sitting on an interim head coach, right? Yeah, right. the last time Kevin Sumlin was on the sidelines watching the game as the um, incoming coach. Uh, yeah, right. the, the the man who'd been hired but wasn't taken over over yet. Tim DeRuiter, I think, was head coach of, of that. That's right. Uh, yeah, of that squad. before he went and well, just effed it all well, up we'll, at Fresno, right? Well, we'll get him this time. But I don't. But again, I you know, it's all this list of possibilities. I, but again, this is it's all fun. These are all fun possibilities. Like I'm, I'm just there. We're not going to get a crappy bowl. We're not going to get a crappy matchup. It's just all it's all gravy. And, you know, it, it's so much fun to think about and kind of looking ahead to this weekend's games, um, you know, with the chaos of last week, Auburn beating Alabama, Miami getting big time upset by Pitt. I mean, that was huge. Um, those two teams losing. Now, all of a sudden, as we record this on Monday, you know, the the playoff rankings don't come out till tomorrow. Uh, probably today, as you're listening to this, if you're listening to it uh, the day we drop it. But um, 
you know, the shakeup that's going to be there is, is pretty immense. And, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of, you know, as you look ahead to this weekend's uh, slate of championship games, there's a bunch of, you know, quote unquote play in games almost, right? I mean, Oklahoma TCU for the Big 12, um, Oklahoma wins therein. Oklahoma loses. I don't know that TCU's necessarily. TCU's not no, in. They're not. <laughs> not in. And so that, that would, that would, you know, create some big chaos. Uh, Georgia Auburn, um, winner of that in, right? Yes. Yes. yes absolutely. Okay. okay. Uh, Miami Clemson, uh, depending how far Miami falls, but yeah, I, I would imagine that that's a playing game too, though, right? I think winners in there. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And then the Big Ten title, Wisconsin, Ohio State. Now we get uh, interesting. Wisconsin wins, they're in. I mean, that no brainer. But if Ohio State wins, I mean, they're in. You sure? Sure. In. I so I think it's funny. I think they'll be in. But as we talked about, there are potentially going to be a couple teams with a really legitimate gripe about. I mean, Alabama, sure. But again, I I don't hate putting in you know a conference champion over Alabama. Um, but USC, who's being completely left out of all of this talk, um, potentially, you know, as the Pac-12 champion, is going to have a record that, at least against Ohio State, stands up very favorably. And I'm not saying that they're going to get in, but but I think I think you're probably right. But I think in this situation, I think Ohio State gets in, Alabama fans are livid, followed by... Um, USC fans uh, being livid also. I also want to mention, too, that if if everything that we're talking about plays out, um, at, at basically as we're talking about, let's say, um, but let's say Wisconsin beats Ohio State, um, let's say Clemson beats Miami, um, what else? Oh, Georgia beats Auburn. All of those teams... Uh, with the exception maybe of Auburn, but let's actually flip it. Let's say that Auburn beats Georgia a second time by the same margin that they beat them the first time. All of those teams will get leaped by UCF. UCF is is sitting somewhere around like 12, but they're poised for a massive jump. If they beat uh, a, a, a Memphis team that only has one jump, they're basically looking at a wall right around six. But that's only funny to me because like, just like I predicted, they're going to get as high as like six, seven, or eight as an undefeated team and then not make the playoff. It'd be one thing if they were like 12th, but they're going to be close enough that like UCF fans are really going to be grumbling about it because they're going to have to look at that final CFP ranking and see themselves sitting like two or three spots outside of the playoff with an undefeated record. But, um, but yeah, with all that said, I think Scuzz is on. I think, you know. I think it's it's Big Ten champ, ACC champ, SEC champ, Big Twelve champ. So does, not well. Does, does that mean Alabama is absolutely out? I don't. I don't know that that's the case. No, I mean not not Big Twelve champ. Should I say right? TCU is not getting in. So um, I think I, if TCU beats Oklahoma, that would be the easiest route for Alabama to get back in. The problem that they have for those who haven't been been following the Alabama schedule intimately is that they have no good wins. They have not beaten anyone. Um, you could argue that Florida state was a good team when they beat them. Um, but the injury to the quarterback, uh, you know, kind of took that, took that away, but that's not really how it works in college football. <laughs> right. And it's funny cause I, I heard, I, you know, I listen to a number of NFL podcasts as well. And I heard, 
you know, people talking about oh, Bama this, Bama that. And I was like, guys, like they're they're not they're not close at this stage, and it's because they don't have the resume that the committee has proven. If, if there's anything the committee has done, th- they have established one thing consistently for for three years, and that's it's it's about who you beat. It's not about who you lose to. It's about who you beat. And you have to have signature wins, and they don't have any. And when you look at Ohio State, who beat Michigan State, who beat Penn State, who beat Michigan, um, who, if they you know will have beaten an undefeated Wisconsin, that will play well, even though they lost to Oklahoma. In the case of USC, they will have beaten a ranked Stanford team twice. Uh, they will have beaten... Uh, not Washington. Um, who's the other ranked team that they've beaten? It's somebody. Uh, I guess they, well, they would have lost to two ranked teams, but you know, USC, the interesting thing about them is that their overall strength of schedule just looks so much better than Ohio state or Alabama. Uh, when you line them up side by side as ESPN did, uh, and kind of like a blind taste test during the Notre Dame game. And that's, that's the interesting thing is that these, the, the committee looks a lot at, you know, overall strength of schedule at wins against the top 25 at, you know, things that, that we don't, we don't necessarily see or think about on a regular basis. So I, I I think that the, the table is set for Alabama to get left out. I think unless, you know, I I really don't see a scenario unless TCU beats Oklahoma and USC looks pedestrian or loses. I, I, I I got to stop you there with USC. I mean, they yeah they beat Stanford early in the season. Um, their only other I mean their only other win was against uh, Arizona, who was ranked like twenty second at the time, and I don't think is ranked anymore. They don't really uh, just looking through their schedule. They don't have a real signature win aside from uh, Stanford, and I guess it would be Stanford twice. But yeah, I mean it's it's all comparatives, right? I mean that's the thing. There's just everyone's got warts this year. Um, I think. You know, and really, the only team that, I mean, Wisconsin can make a legit claim that they don't have warts. I mean, it's not their fault that who was put on their schedule, right? I mean, they've beaten everyone who was put in front of them. If they if they get in undefeated, I mean, there's, you know, you can't put much of an argument against them. But, you know, Clemson took a bad loss. Miami took a bad loss. Oklahoma took a bad loss. I mean, they're, they're, there's no one, right, with a with that kind of thing. And I think again, too, I think with the committee, I mean, I don't think, I don't know what kind of pressure the committee's under, but I mean, here's a legit chance that for the first time in a million years, they don't have to put Alabama in with like a good argument to do it and, and get, you know, deserving champions from a couple of different conferences. But again, there's, there's so much that could happen here. TCU has played pretty darn good football at times. And if, you know, if they upset Oklahoma, you know, this is all, you know, a moot point. Well, I, I will say that um, the the rating that ESPN put up there or ABC put up there was before uh, Notre Dame had lost, although granted they lost to Stanford, who was also on USC's, uh, you know, schedule. It didn't have um, the result from the Washington-Washington State game yet. It didn't have the result from the Arizona-Arizona State game yet. So, there's, you know, there's some things that, there's some things there. I think if you look at um, ESPN's FPI, USC comes in at 17th. So they've probably dropped enough that uh, that 
I think Sam, you might you might be right. They might be out of there unless they absolutely destroy Stanford and have a couple other things fall uh, fall in their favor. But I still like them over. Um, I still like them over in Alabama. Like like imagine that uh, imagine that Oklahoma doesn't make it, and you've got you know confusion coming out of the Big Ten game where Ohio State wins, but it's a real ugly, like, close game. I just, I could see a scenario where the committee's like, you know what? USC put an exclamation point on it. Um, they won their conference. Like, we're, we're going to put them in and then flip a coin between uh, Ohio State and Alabama. I don't know. Like, they, they, they Honestly, do, they do weird in stuff. that scenario, the team I, I think would be most likely to jump up there would be... Uh, John Central Florida. If they crushed Memphis, if they really put it on Memphis, um, that, you know, it's, it's, I mean, again, a, a ton of things would have to bounce their way. I mean, a lot of ground would have to be cleared. And that's the thing is that I, that, that Alabama wall is just sitting there because again, a huge part of it is Alabama. I mean, this is a committee of people and Alabama, when they want to pass the eye test, whoa, do they pass the eye test? Um, when that team wants to be dominant, especially on defense, but but running the ball too, they have been absolutely dominant. So I, I mean, it's, it's hard week. to, yeah, right. I mean, it's hard to imagine um, USC. And again, if if let's say Georgia comes out and avenges their loss to Auburn and puts it on Auburn, Alabama's not looking that great because um, all of a sudden Auburn, for all their you know catching fire, would be are still a nine and three team. So. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's, but it's cool. Again, when the minute Alabama blew that game, this immediately became a much more interesting scenario. And I think that's part of the fun of it. I mean, everyone likes to do the arguments, but it's, it's just cool to be going into championship week with so many permutations, um, still up. I mean, it's, it's a giant crapshoot, um, where really, I don't think there's, there's a single team, right. Who's guaranteed a spot in the top four. I think just about everybody with the exception of Alabama needs to win this week uh, to, to guarantee a spot. And Alabama doesn't even have that option. Well, that'll be a pretty huge indicator tomorrow night. Uh, we're recording here on Monday evening, uh, tomorrow night, Tuesday, when the rankings come out, how far does Alabama fall? If they're, if they're still in the top four or even number five, the, the possibility is, is very clear for them to make it, um, as you know, kind of the first, the first at-large team, if you will. Um, but if they drop down to six or seven, I think it might be curtains for the Crimson Tide. So I, I do want to move on, um, so we don't, you know, completely run into a massively long pod, and we got uh, some pretty interesting stuff to talk about still. Uh, and that's the coaching carousel. I mean, at, as we sit here on Monday night. Um, do you remember just the wild and craziness of the Chip Kelly to UCLA? I mean, that feels like years ago, but, you know, Chip Kelly kind of started everything off by turning down Florida and uh, going to UCLA. Huge hire for UCLA. And uh, as we talked about last week, I think for him, you know, he's spent a lot of time on the the West Coast. He knows the area. Uh, He's recruited California before. I think it just, it's a great hire for, for UCLA. And, um, you know, Florida quickly moved on and, you know, hired Mississippi State's Dan Mullen. 
other than when, you know, Rich Rod a week after losing his shot at at a, a national title berth, which West Virginia would have gotten had they not lost to Pitt in in that weird game back in what was that two thousand seven? Yeah, it was seven. Um, and then a week later, bolting to Michigan. I, that's the weirdest, like coaching circumstances and and subsequent carousel that I can remember because then you had like the Dana Holgerson West Virginia fallout with Oklahoma State drinking weirdness Bill who was Bill I forget who I forget who took over West Virginia and they immediately then hired Holgerson as OC from Oklahoma State and then people were accusing other people of drinking at casinos and all sorts of weird stuff that that was a pretty weird year that doesn't hold this a is candle a, to this no, and we're like three days in. Yeah, no, and that's the. It's so funny, like you said. I mean, there's you've got Mullen. That's a great hire. I mean, Mullen is a guy who is consistently won at Mississippi State, which is not an easy thing to do. Um, and he's kind of a coach's coach. He's worked his way up the ladder. Um, I th- there's really great potential that it's a quality hire for Florida. Well, it, it, some- if you talk to my buddy Ryan, he, Ryan was my buddy. Ryan's a big Florida fan. Is sort of. You know, he's happy, but, you know, it wasn't the top uh, guy on his list. I think he was really hoping for Scott Frost. Oh, that's, that is so, that is, I, I, I don't even have any words. Like, that's, that's, um, I think Dan Mullen is really underrated. I completely agree. And, 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 and I don't think I realized, I don't think I realized it till I, re- till I recalled the list of quarterbacks that he's developed college and, and don't think pro, think college. Tim Tebow, Dak Prescott, and Alex Smith. That is yeah. a hell of a list of college quarterbacks yeah. to have developed. I think, too, like the – I don't know. I kind of compare it to like a, a Jimbo Fisher or something like that who was like a sort of sexy coach before he came in. And when he was hired at Florida State, I think a lot of people were like, really, this is the best we can do? But he kind of – you know, he knew – coaching and once he was given that platform he knew what to do with it and you know i think regardless of what's going on with florida state this year jimbo has reached some lofty heights with the knolls um but i think yeah i i think the subtext though too with frost is it sounds like and and i kind of had an an inkling or at least a suspicion that this was the case they took initial meetings with scott frost then he he kind of stopped returning their calls and a lot of people seem to think that this is all just almost a predetermination that he's going to end up at nebraska and you have him Saying things like, "What did he say? I I would have been I would have been hurt if Nebraska wasn't interested in me." Meanwhile, like Nebraska's AD is regularly lauding him. Like, be surprised. Well, well, he's he's saying that, and then he's seeing saying, "I won't talk about 2018. This team deserves the best for me right now." Like, he's right. he's trying to walk that line as he's coaches to be, always do. Right. He's trying to be classy, and he is being classy. But but I mean. That's where the smart money is. I mean, all signs point to these two parties just circling each other. But again, no one's talking about any of this right now. Not Chip Kelly, not Dan Mullen, not Scott Frost. But the, before before we get to the elephant in the room, um, A&M fires Kevin Sumlin uh, and immediately starts calling Jimbo Fisher. I mean, they, they have come out and said, we want Jimbo Fisher. So that, like we talked about last week, is, you know, very possible of an LSU redux, which is good can, luck. Good, I, good luck, can, guys. Can I just ask you, ask you guys, which which would be the required, absolutely ridiculous sum of money that would be larger? 
the Gus Malzahn to Arkansas money or the Jimbo Fisher to Texas A&M money? Oh, Jimbo Fisher to A&M would have to be twice as large as the Malzahn to Arkansas. I guess. I mean, Malzahn, you know. Malzahn doesn't have a $40 million buyout. That's that. Oh, yeah. State. That's true. That's true. You're right. Like the only reason Jimbo leaves is if he, like for some reason he thought he he would felt disrespected by Florida State and that by going somewhere else he'd do better. Jimbo will make Florida State fire him. Right. Forty million dollars. Right. No, you're right. I and again. And which he got deservedly by winning a national title. I mean, we can get into the intricacies of like what happened that season, but the guy's got a national title recently, and is and is awesome at running a pro style offense. Like right? He, de- he develops players for the league. He recruits gangbusters as a result. Like again, it's I, like it's it's that Saban is what ten million. It's just are either of these idiot schools going to push it above that? Because that's what it would take just to start with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To start with, and I, you know, I, I wish I had thought about this last week because I, I was I, when we were podcasting, I was thinking through the week, you know, re-listening to our podcast and whatnot, and you know, like I lived in Texas for five years, right? Not Dallas, not not anywhere near near A and M, but Texas fans are very focused on Texas schools. They don't understand why someone wouldn't want to leave Florida to come <laughs> right. coach at Texas A and M. Right. I don't mean that as a criticism. They're just like. When people say like everything's bigger in Texas and make all those like Texas jokes, like they're being they're being a little facetious, but Texans really love Texas, and they they don't think that that's crazy. They're certifiably nuts, but they don't realize it. And Jimbo Fisher's, in case you're wondering, is from West Virginia. It's not like he has some deep tie <laughs> that's going to make him want to go. Because I know some of you were wondering, is he from Texas? But no, nope. he's not. All right, and then we have the story that everyone's talking about, Arizona State firing Todd Graham. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Now, that's Apparently some I... people are really upset about that, and like, I, I, I kind of want to be like, don't y'all remember when Todd Graham coached for one year at Pitt and then left? Like, I, I mean, like, why... why why is it like people are like, oh, he got a, he didn't get a fair shake and yada yada he was yada. There He's for been a there while. for a long time and they've done nothing. No, they they've been mediocre in the Pac-12 South for years and years. And like they get frisky every now and again and win a game they shouldn't. But you know, they they got Lane Kiffin fired. Because wow. you're you're telling me that people are saying that a coach of questionable character didn't get a fair shake. <laughs> <laughs> You like you like what I did yeah. there, yeah. which which leads us to Tennessee. Oh my goodness! Can oh, we just preface? Can we just preface this with the headline that is that is on all the websites tonight, on uh, Monday night at eleven thirty five p.m. <laughs> uh, there's a headline. I guess there's an actual story out there. Jason Witten, current tight end for the Dallas Cowboys, zero coaching experience, felt the need to make a a public statement saying i will not be leaving the dallas cowboys to go coach tennessee so yesterday sunday early earlier in the day i mean it's what like early mid-morning that uh tennessee announces that they've hired uh ohio well they, they didn't announce it it got it got leaked. okay it, it got yeah leaked. It, it got leaked that uh ohio state defensive coordinator greg shiano uh who whom you might remember from such uh, head coaching places as Rutgers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where he apparently nobody really remembers. No, the apparently Tampa Bay not. Buccaneers. Apparently not. And there's a lot to talk about with his his run at, at Tampa Bay. 
But that's not the previous job that had everyone just suddenly completely up in arms. All of a sudden, and I had no idea, like I didn't even realize that Shiano had been uh, at Penn State. Before you even go there, like we, Sam, I think you, you texted John and I said, oh, Shiano to Tennessee. And John and I are both like, oh, that's... Yeah, that's not better a, than I thought they were going to do. That's that was my good hire. reaction. We, I mean, we were let's just say not armed with all the facts, <laughs> but but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, as it turns out, maybe the Tennessee fans might not be armed with all the facts either. But uh, so it, it gets leaked. Um, I'm I'm still not a hundred percent sure where this came from, but you know, I have a few theories. But uh, it gets leaked out that. You know, Shiano, who was a uh, assistant coach at Penn State uh, under Paterno, may have been somewhat, and it's very unclear to what extent he may have been involved in the Jerry Sandusky scandal. Nothing has been pinned to him. Uh, everything at, at this point on, like I say, on Monday night, everything to this point is pretty much exonerating him from any any wrongdoing in, in the in the situation, which again is absolutely horrible, and we continue not, to talk about not the, not exonerating him, not trying, right? Him. Not absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, he. The, 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 this is like the legalese quickly, it like like legal the, the legal to moral spectrum quickly gets kind of muddy in this situation. I think we're all going to struggle with it, talking a little bit about it as we go through this tonight, but. I think I think we can all agree, like the national media, uh, fu- like butt fumbled this really bit poorly oh, as it was time. developing. Oh, so so that's the thing, right? And that's what we've got to get into. Is so like there's the the craziness of what happened, right? Which was basically a social media firestorm in about eight hours, taking a coach from accepting a job to to basically being run out of town on rails, um, because that's what happened. I mean, basically, you've got. All of a sudden, social media is blowing up. You've got the giant rock at Tennessee, um, which I can only assume was an idea stolen from Northwestern. I mean, clearly, obviously. absolutely, um, clearly, um, a giant maybe, rock. Maybe we traded that for their end zones. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, but the giant rock at Tennessee painted with um, Greg Schiano covered up child rape, and then people protesting outside. You got state legislators. It all just spiraled so quickly, right? And and it was all just kind of an amazing thing where it was just kind of like stunning the degree to which this all happened. But then just like you guys were saying, there's the there's the whole second thing where a giant portion of the media chose to handle this a certain way. And that was from the perspective of um, he's Greg Schiano is being taken out of town, um, is being drummed out of Tennessee on nothing more than the rumor mill. And it is, it's, let's put it this way, in, in today's climate especially, that is a dangerously blunt way to approach this situation. And I, and, you know, I personally don't agree with it, but I think, you know, we can, we can kind of unpack the intricacies of it. But yeah, as Scuzz said, several prominent members of the media did not color themselves with a tasteful brush in the, in the aftermath of this. Well, uh, and I want to I want to emphasize, and see, and this is about where you were about to, you were about yeah. to go. Is that like like the the crux of this is that in his testimony to a grand jury, Mike McQuarrie said that 
you know, when asked if, if he knew of other coaches that had seen the sorts of things that he saw, you know, when he walked in on the, on the Sandusky scene in the shower and he said, yes, Tom Bradley told me that a coach came to him and told him he saw something similar. And they asked, who was that coach? And he said, it was Greg Schiano. So from a legal perspective, first, this is hearsay. So, so this is not admissible in court. You, you cannot try Shiano on any of this. Um, Bradley and Shiano both came out immediately after that, that, you know, hit, hit the wires and said, Nope, that never happened. That wasn't us. Um, and where I think some media members then latched onto was the idea that, well, in this trial that was hugely publicized and far reaching and has put administrators and coaches, former coaches in, into prison um, where the, you know, the powers that, that, that were in the state of Pennsylvania left no stone, stone unturned and they chased everybody, but they never chased Greg Schiano. So he must be innocent. And that, that seems like a pretty dangerous assumption to make. Um, at the same time, I, I don't know that I'm comfortable completely eviscerating Chiano for, for this. Um, but if you did additional homework on Greg Schiano, you would understand more about how awful of a head coach he was during his two-year stint in Tampa Bay in the NFL. He was accused by the players. Of, I'm just going to read directly from, from Roger <laughs> Sherman's article on the ringer. He was accused by the players association of leaking confidential information about quarterback Josh Freeman's enrollment in a substance abuse program. He reportedly rigged a vote to strip Freeman of his captaincy. He re repeatedly ordered his players to attack opposing kneel downs at the end of games. Yeah, I remember um, that. That was just ridiculous. You can watch the highlights on YouTube. It's ridiculous. He exaggerated a player's recovery from an infectious disease. I believe an infectious disease, which was a, like a staph infection. MRSA. That, like, it was MRSA. Like, it was like, like a serious staph infection running amok. In the running amok in the locker room. And he also claimed that medicine is, quote, not an exact science, which, I mean, it's kind of not. But in that situation, my God. Um, my favorite is that there's a player that quoted that was quoted as saying that playing for, for Shiano was, quote, like being in Cuba. And so the, the biggest problem I have here is that, you know, you can argue and we might get to this, like what how how um, how much Tennessee fans really believe the stuff that they're saying. And, and you know, I'm, I, there's a, there's a small portion of them that absolutely are protesting this for the right reasons and, and threw down their cards and said, no, we will not accept this guy because of, of his relationship to this, this Penn state case. I think there's a lot of, of, of Tennessee fans that didn't like this guy as a, as a potential head football coach for reasons, nothing to do with that and couldn't care one way or, or another, but the fan base still stood up against this. And, if you're a media member, like you have to do your homework and understand the whole picture of what this guy has been like as a head coach before you say, before you wipe away that and say, well, this is just mob mentality and these people are just being, being outrageous. And and that's the thing too, I think. So like we're saying with this whole second level thing there, Dan Wetzel, who is a sports reporter who is really kind of at ground zero of the Penn State thing. He's the guy who knows all the nitty gritty. He's the guy that knows the legalese of it all the ins and outs. He's, you know, a guy who knows exactly where this came from, what the tenuous link is between Mike McQuarrie and Greg Schiano and all this stuff and everything. And 
his interest in the aftermath of this, which I think as Scuzz implied, was it's a sa- it's sound interest. I think you could say maybe Dan Watson's a little guilty of not seeing the forest through the trees here. But I think his interest in this situation was I you know, basically seeing things like that rocket at, at Tennessee and being that like a huge pl- a huge portion of the Tennessee fan base believes without or, or believes that it is known fact that Greg Schiano covered up child rape at Penn State. As if, like, no new, like, believes this to be gospel, and it's not, and I need to show you exactly what it was. So, again, it's, I get the reasoning behind why he wrote that article. But then that article was immediately picked up by a lot of other people with, I think, a lot less defendable intentions um, and, and part of it was a, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, right. And, uh, and well, I mean, and Pat Forty, who, in addition to taking his strong state, uh, strong, strong stance on this, uh, used the expression lynch mob. Um, and basically what you had a bunch of people saying is, I think someone like Bleacher Report or something used the specific word lie in their headline, like Greg Schiano is being fired based on a lie, which is so far removed from what's actually in the court documents. And, but I think basically my point is the idea is there, there, there was a group of sports writers who were like, these people drummed this guy out of town and wrecked his chance at getting the Tennessee job on nothing more than hearsay. And that is just, I have serious problems with that whole line of thinking. One, for an obvious reason for anyone who's been living under a rock right now, is when it comes to sexual assault, it has become very clear in the past couple of months that when someone talks about sexual assault, we as a society have a serious problem uh, when it comes to victim blaming. And that particularly in Hollywood, this led to huge cultural problems for a long time. And now you have all these things coming out in Hollywood where everyone's like, I mean, now we're kind of realizing, right, people don't stand to gain a lot when they come out and accuse someone. If anything, they stand to lose a lot. That's not saying that everyone's telling the truth and everyone's a liar, but just that it's becoming pretty clear that you want to start from a place of reasonable understanding. And if and so then let's pivot to Mike McQuarrie, right? If you look at everything Mike McQuarrie was involved with relative to the Penn State case, right, and the way he handled the situation uh, at Penn State, I don't mean the lot. I don't mean all the trial. I mean when the initial events happened, right? If there's a a ten, a one to ten scale, with ten being the best possible way to handle to see what's going on, run run right past Joe Paterno's office, out the door, down to the police station, and be like, you know, get over here now. Felonies involving children are being committed. If that's a 10, we'll say what McQuarrie did was a 5 or a 6, right? He, <laughs> I was wondering how low you were going to yeah, go. He, <laughs> he, 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 caught, he brought it to, right, the Paterno. He brought it maybe to the AD sat on it for another 10 days, and then I think talked to a few other Penn State officials on it, and then claims he talked to the police, but there's no real record of that. So, five or six. A important distinction here. Literally everyone else at Penn State scored a zero on the same scale, okay? That's everyone in the football stadium. 
uh, in the football team. That's Graham Spanier, the president of the university. Zero. Zero out of ten. That's why Graham Spanier's in flipping jail right now, okay? Another way to look at it is how much better is Penn State than – is McQuarrie than everyone else on that in that uh, school? $12 million better because that's what Penn State had to pay Mike McQuarrie in his whistleblower lawsuit, which several verdicts were handed down. Then he finally dropped it just literally two weeks ago, which everyone knows is code for settlement – you can guess the settlement was probably massive, many millions of dollars, okay? My point in all this is that, yes, Mike McQuarrie is not a perfect person, but compared to anyone else in that program, like, say, Tom Bradley, uh, who, you know, he's saying, keep in mind, McQuarrie said this all under oath. So when you hear all this, his specific phrase was, Bradley told me, Greg Shianu came into his office white as a ghost and said he had just seen Jerry Sandusky doing something with a kid. That's an awfully specific thing to say under oath if you don't mean it. I allow for possibility that some things could have gone either way. But if you take that, I come away from that thinking something like Greg Shiano might have covered up Jerry Sandusky's tech child abuse. And we're not in a court of law here. If you ask me as a football fan, do I want a coach who I can reasonably believe might have covered up sexual assault? I'm going to be like, nah, hire another guy. Hire someone different. Just don't hire that guy. Like, I, you know, we have other choices. Like, it's not a guilty, innocent thing. And another way to look at it on top of this is, let's say it was a sliding scale. Let's say it was like, I... I I have reason to believe that Greg Schiano maybe committed murder. I don't know. It's just hearsay. A guy under oath said a guy told him Greg Schiano killed someone. You know, it's like, what's the sliding scale? Because if that's number one, covering up child sexual assault is really high up on the list. And I just, and again, it all goes back. We're a ton of Tennessee fans just looking for an excuse to get rid of this guy. Sure. But on the flip side, would fans at any school in the country have rightfully protested the chance of a guy who possibly covered up a sexual assault for being their head coach? Absolutely. And the idea that there was this wave of people being like, oh, you know, crucifying the guy, you know, based on a lie, lynch mob, etc. It's like, come on, guys, stop and take the temperature of where we are in this country right now. So what's interesting is like, that was what everyone jumped on. And there, like we talked about earlier, there were plenty of reasons not to want Greg Schiano as your head coach. <laughs> right. But, you know, they, they went that direction. And, you know, you, you wonder why. And I don't know if, again, we're, we're getting into, like, national politics and just the, the state of the world that we live in right now. Yes. Sarah Huckabee Sanders weighed in. That was lovely. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's, you know, going, you know, it's leaving the, the venue of sports uh, and going, you know, it's become a, a huge political, a huge political thing. You've, you've got state legislatures, you know, federal legislatures, the white house, you know, chiming in on this and, it, it's just, it didn't need to go that way. There were plenty of other reasons not to hire Shiano. 
Yeah, they, they they really should have done their homework better. Um, and and honestly, been more sensitive to it, because I, I think I think they might have. You know, it's it's possible somebody's like, well, what about you know, what about that the 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 you know, Shiano was at Penn State during this time. They're like, oh, that was so long ago. Like we're not, you know, but the the landscape has changed. I mean, even as outraged as everyone was when the Penn State thing happened. Um, the the landscape has has shifted in this country since then. I'd be uh, out. So, I'd be right. I'd be outraged if Tennessee fans were not giving a crap. But that's <laughs> well, and it, here's so here's the really interesting thing, and I I do want to defend. Um, I I I think I think some of the media were were really outrageously off base. Uh, and John, you've cited some of those names and some of those those comments that were made. I think there was a broad spectrum that was just too slow to realize what was really happening and, 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 and a little bit for good reason. And so part of that is that Tom Bradley is an assistant. I think he's, he's defensive coordinator at UCLA. There was hardly a peep mentioned when he was hired there. Greg Schiano, when he was hired at Ohio state as defensive coordinator, there was hardly a peep mentioned there about, about this history. And so if you're Tennessee or, or a media member that has been living in a world where these guys have been effectively signed off uh, on by the, the college football public to a certain degree. This is pretty shocking. And this, and this does feel like, like, uh, you know, a rug being ripped out from, from underneath a guy um, out of nowhere, because two years ago when he was hired by urban Meyer, nobody said boo. And I mean, I was saying boo just because the way he was run out of Tampa Bay, but that's a different story. Yeah. I, so, so, so I think like when you look, when you, when you factor in that, and then you also factor in the fact in, in the, 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 the more, you know, this is the world we live in now where people scream about stuff that isn't true and it, and it gets results. Um, I, I, I can understand why some people reacted to this negatively and, and pushed back on, you know, the, the Tennessee fans outrage, I think, frankly, and I'm going to call out, you know, I don't, I don't know his name, but these Tennessee legislators that were legislators that were tweeting things like we have standards for the university of Tennessee and blah, blah, blah. These people have vocally supported Roy Moore. And I don't, and I mean, I, I know which one of these stories I believe a hell of a lot more strongly (laughs) than than the other one in terms of um, volume of, of accusers, et cetera. So there's some, there's some rich ripe hypocrisy going on here. At the same time, and this is where I ultimately come down, I want, I want to read a tweet that I retweeted on Sunday. Um, there was a guy that, uh, that posted this. I think he's a, he's a radio personality in, uh, in, in Tennessee, and he said, a big-time college – this is Will West uh, from WNML, and he writes, a big-time college football fan base finally pushes back on a coach associated with a violent sexual scandal and national media members want to rip them easy to see why rape culture still exists in this sport. And that's where I ultimately come down on this is that whatever the motivation, whatever the buildup, whatever the, the events that transpired leading up to Tennessee fans landing on this, we don't want this guy because of his association with this, with, with what happened at Penn state. That is a very proper and right feeling to have. And Chiano probably shouldn't be a head coach anywhere. Um, I, I think a little bit of, of grace and understanding can be given to people that along the journey got, you know, uh, you know, took a step in the wrong direction or, or didn't quite realize what was happening at the time. But guys like 40 and, and, 
you know, I, we were talking, we were going back and forth about Feldman last night, who seems to have been, you know, almost shilling for, for Shiano to get a job for many years now from like a personal relationship standpoint and wrote, you know, some pretty slanted stuff on, on, on SI. I just, I, I got a problem with that, with, with, with some of that stuff, but at the same time, I can't, I can't hold any, everybody to that same standard, um, just given how unique and surprising the situation was as it unfolded on Sunday. Well, and again, with with the perspective of the whole national temperature, right? I mean, Kevin Spacey hosted the Tonys a few months ago. Jesus, yeah. Things are changing like bananas. And then on the flip side, you have sports change slower than everything. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we can point. obviously point to the NFL this season. But read just today, Richard Deitch did a big follow-up thing on SI of, of um, you know, given the current climate, let's revisit – uh, something I think he wrote two years ago about, you know, sexual assault in, you know, what female sports writers and sports personalities are dealing with. And what you see from all these people, he interviewed all these people anonymously, and it's all just this Me Too kind of stuff where these women are all dealing with all this stuff. And I just, if if you're someone who works for a sports team or you work in sports journalism, um, you know, and, and you're a woman, you're dealing with all this stuff and yet... That you can see, right? The Me Too thing has stopped right at the door of sports. And it hasn't crossed over it right now because I still think sports are just behind. Like you see in Hollywood, it was just that moment where Hollywood was like, yep, we're here. This is getting dealt with right now. And then a major, a major conference fan base last year, last year protested the firing of a coach. For actually covering up rape on campus. Right. <laughs> many, many, many rapes for many years. They protested that they wore effing black armbands in the stadium and unfurled banners with his initials. And this barely got a, a tiny rebuke from the national media. I'm still angry about it. I know. It's like sports will always be the last to arrive at the destination. And it's like it's coming. Like if this is if this is what just happened in Hollywood and politics and this me and business, right? The business world, the Me Too thing has caught fire. It's sports is reckoning is coming, and you're gonna see a lot of heads swing. I mean, heck, right now, I mean, look at you've got guys as you know politically diverse as Roy Moore and Al Franken who are both hanging by a thread right now. The same thing in the business world. I mean, everyone from, you know, someone like Kevin Spacey, but like a John Lasseter. I mean, like these things, it's everywhere. It And you darn, like, you haven't been watching sports if you believe that it's everywhere, but not in sports. It's sports are knee deep in it and it's coming. But again, it's just more, just more evidence that everyone in sports is just like the last to arrive at the party. But I mean, it's, it's all coming. So I, I do kind of want to put put a bow on this. Uh, very very important. <laughs> a bow, a bow. Put put a bow on it and then throw the package into the flaming <laughs> Tennessee River. Yeah, I mean, that has been set afire like Gary, Indiana. Th- this this is a very important topic, and you know I I don't want to you know minimize anything, but uh, you know we, we are running a little bit long. I do just want to you know, bring it back to just the situation at hand who in their right mind would want this Tennessee job now well and I think I think the really interesting question too is fans fans have power 
and and there have been a couple moments in the last you know three like four or five years in sports where where fans have realized some of that power um for good or for ill and I'm interested what happens if they try to hire a guy who who does have a clean record but the fans don't want as a coach like what you know I I I don't I don't imagine it would get the same type of viral response. I don't imagine that it would have the same kind of comprehensive um, uh, impact as as the the Shiano news had. Um, you you never know. I some people are certainly going to try it. And now you know there there was the whole like firejoemorgan.com thing where you know a bunch a bunch of now now every you know the day after a coach gets hired, there's a fire so and so dot com. Um, related to that coach, uh, it, it, you know, everybody wants to, to to trumpet that that meme, if you will, and this is going to become the norm for coaching hires going forward at big time programs. Is that um, there's going to be a, a backlash on social media and and not just on the crazy message boards, but one that extends to Facebook and Twitter and probably gets picked up by the you know by the mainstream media. So I I, I think. I think this probably changes some of the discussion and Tennessee is, is sitting on a a volcanic magma (laughs) as they, as they try to navigate this. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do it. I, you know, the one other interesting, I guess, legal component is um, fans and boosters, boosters, especially now are pushing for, uh, for AD John Curry to be fired. And um, I thought Bruce Feldman made a really good point that, if push comes to shove and Shiano's team sues Tennessee for his uh, buy, the buyout money that was part of whatever this agreement that they signed, uh, reportedly $20 million, that Tennessee would be in a lot better position if John Curry was still worked for them. Um, so who who knows? I, I don't. I don't know what they do. We were talking before the pod about David Cutcliffe and there's some really obvious, you know, names out there potentially, but you know, they're going to be, I'm sure they're going to be really nervous just putting a name out there, not knowing exactly what's going to happen, how people are going to react. And say, say you're Texas A&M, right? And you're, you're going, you're trying to get Jimbo Fisher and you don't get him. That fan base is not going to be happy with anyone else. And this could reemerge there. Yep. I, so it's important just steering back to Tennessee right now. There's so the name, like, I think Cuckliff would be the perfect choice for them. Just a steady hand to guide them through this trying yeah, seriously, time. Seriously, right? Uh, but I, two hours ago, he told Tennessee he's not interested in the job. And I certainly don't blame him from his perspective. The guy's 63 years old. I think he's got a situation where he's got real job security at, at Duke. They're happy if anytime they go to a bowl, he's thought of as really highly guarded, a developer of quarterbacks, a cerebral guy. Um, and I, you know, it's a good fit, especially I think at this stage of his career. And he's like, look, I don't need the money and I'm not trying to be a part of this mess. Um, one name who I just saw come up, who I think it's as good as Tennessee can do at this point right now is T Martin, uh, USC's offensive coordinator, won a national championship with the Vols, um, He's only been their offensive coordinator since 2016. Before that, I think he was a wide receiver coach. I mean, he's really kind of um, rapidly risen up the ladder. But, I mean, like, it would be well-received by the fan base 
There aren't a lot of good options. He's the OC at USC right now. He's really well regarded. He's well regarded as a young OC at USC. Uh, in a perfect world, yeah, you want him to get more seasoning, but I mean, sheesh. Take take what's available, Tennessee. At least it, it would appease the fan base. The guy won a national title. Um, you know, I don't know. We'll see. So I, you know, let, let's put a bow on that uh, discussion for now. There's still plenty more uh, shoes to drop as far as the coaching carousel goes. Um, you know, Nebraska still has a hire to make. Uh, Iowa State just announced they're extending Matt Campbell. Uh, so, you know, the people who were kind of thinking that if Frost didn't go to Nebraska, they might go after Campbell. That's probably off the table at this point. Um, you know, Arizona State's looking for a coach and, uh, Texas A&M's looking for a coach. Oregon State's looking for Man, a coach. Where, where does A&M go? That is just such a, I did hear, I heard, uh, Scott, uh, Chad Morris as a, as a name who's been at SMU for, for the last few years after being, you know, making his, his name as a offensive coordinator with Clemson. I heard that name thrown out there, but I think you're right, Sammy. I think, I think the, I think some of this Tennessee fiasco is born out of the, the, the groomers for, for John yep. Gruden and, and just, you know, crazy expectations. Um, some not, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not trying to do what others did and say that the response wasn't warranted. I'm just saying, I think a little bit of it, maybe it was born out of some of, some of the, um, the expectations. And I think A&M, I similar deal. They're expecting to get Jimbo. And I just, that doesn't seem realistic to me. And ne- Nebraska is expecting to get frost. That's, it very well might likely happen, but uh, that that feels more more plausible. Who was it? Was it one of you guys who sent this to me, or did I see it somewhere else? That there are just so far in coaches who've been let go, sixty million dollars worth of buyout money. Is, I I, is I saw that as well. I I I wasn't the one who sent it to you, but I I did just see that. Uh, that's just so far. Just <laughs> gross. Nebraska's Nebraska's still paying Polini. They're paying Polini, Eichhorst, and Riley now. Oh God! I I mean, like, like this is, you know, we've we've already had one deep discussion tonight. We don't need to get into <laughs> yeah. the whole playing that paying the players so, thing. I think everybody knows where we stand on that. But. So Illinois, enjoy the next few years of Lovey Smith. I think is what we're all yeah. coming <laughs> yeah, back yeah. to. Have fun with sure. that. The, the state's sure broke. <laughs> you can't pay that buyout. <laughs> Well, let's leave it there for tonight. Um, you know, we'll be back next week with, uh, bold destinations. Um, also we will be doing our Westlaw Pirates bowl challenge again. Uh, be on the lookout for that as, uh, those forums come up live on ESPN. Uh, we'll be tweeting about that. We'll be talking about it next week or two. Um, the ca- coaching carousel continues and we got men's and women's basketball to talk about. We didn't uh, even get anywhere near that tonight and rightfully so we like i say we are running a little bit long uh so we'll go ahead and leave it there and uh continue our search for the swoley grail i'll i'll be super quick with just a, a quick update on our on our pool teams that we all have alive uh, still, as we get into championship, I don't want to talk Sammy, about this. You, I don't want to talk about uh, it. <laughs> too, too bad, buddy. I'm bringing the heat. Um, well, Sammy, you should be happy because Florida State rescheduled their match with uh, University of Louisiana Monroe. Okay, 
for this for this lack last week of the season so they can try to get bowl eligible, which is just kind of funny in and of itself. But um, they're they're almost assured to get another win for you. You've also got Ohio State on the docket. Uh, John is uh, in the best position with three teams alive this weekend: Alabama, Boise State, and Florida Atlantic. Will all? Oh, that's not true at all. Um, sorry, John. I forgot that Alabama got knocked out. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> Boise State and Florida Atlantic are uh, vying for their conference championships. So. Uh, you're in good shape there. And then I have uh, Auburn and USC still alive. That South Florida-Central Florida game really hurt me. Um, took away a, another couple potential wins from uh, from South Florida. So, c'est la vie. Uh, we'll see what happens. But right now, I'm I'm still in the lead, 46-44 to 44 for you, John. And Sam, you're down at 40. Me and Lane are coming for you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> me and the fighting Kiffins. Um for my final thought, <clears throat> um, I I understand this isn't going to play nearly as well in audio as I describe it as I would if you just saw the picture, but it's still pretty awesome. Um, <clears throat> so apparently this is something that's been brewing in Chicago Bears fan communities online for a little while now, but it finally showed up in the Bears game at the Eagles uh, this past week. So the... There was a fan, a Bears fan in the in the end zone, one of the end zones at the Eagles Stadium, holding a giant Firefox logo for the browser Firefox, which is just fantastic. A fantastic way to say that you want John Fox fired. Um, it was super meta. It took me a second to get it when I was looking at the picture, and then I just started laughing. It was just an awesome way to troll a head coach that you want gone. So definitely uh, look for that online. It's pretty hilarious. Another thing to look for online is just the absolute beauty that is the Navy uniforms for the Army-Navy game. I mean, both, both Army and Navy always come out with just awesome, awesome uniforms for that game. Uh, Navy is basically uh, doing an homage and a pretty close recreation of the Blue Angels uniform. Uh, and the helmets are, again, like a couple years, either last year or the year before when they had the hand-painted uh, ships on all of the helmets. Um, they've got hand-painted planes. Uh, the Under Armour, baby. Yeah, Under Armour. It, it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, do yourself a favor and, and Google the, the Navy uniforms. I'm looking forward to seeing what Army brings. Uh, I'm sure they'll, they'll bring it strong as well. And uh, lest we forget... Um, the Denver Broncos quarterback carousel continues uh, back to Trevor Simeon. Uh, Paxton Lynch started against the Raiders, was miserable, and then uh, sprained his ankle. Uh, turns out that's a high ankle sprain. He's out for two to four weeks. Simeon came in in the fourth quarter, led two beautiful touchdown drives, brought the Broncos back from uh, 21-0 down to 21-14. Um, you know, Denver had all the momentum, but just couldn't get the ball back. At the very end, I uh, ended up losing. But uh, Simeon is now your starter again for the Broncos as they go into Miami this weekend to take on the Dolphins. So uh, best of luck again to Trevor as he you know regains the starting role as the Broncos quarterback. And we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Westlaw Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the Westlaw of Ryan Field playing the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter. 
especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.